Good morning. Wow. My name is uh, Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's good to be with you all. Really excited that you're able to make it after Thanksgiving. I know that that's uh, a, ho- a hard holiday sometimes to recover from. I think, though, this year we were able to stay at home, hopefully a little bit more, uh, and enjoy some turkey there um, or wherever you are at. But today marks the beginning of Advent, Christmas time. The Christmas season is upon us. I love Christmas time. My wife will tell you I am one who likes to get right after it. I like to put up the tree before Thanksgiving, and this year I got to do it. So <laughs> it's already started off really, really well. But in all reality, uh, today really marks the actual beginning of the season of Advent. Um, Advent is historically a time in the Christian calendar where we actually begin our year. So we don't, we don't actually say January 1 is the start of the Christian year, but Advent is really where we start. The church begins its year with holy expectation, anticipation of what is to come. In the season of Advent, we take time to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to prepare ourselves for the coming joy that is celebrated on Christmas Day, where we remember that Jesus Christ took on flesh as God incarnate, came to earth in order to fulfill what God had for him in his sovereign plan, namely to make a way for his people to be reconciled and restored back to God. Advent is a time of hope, a time of good news, a time where we both remember where our hope lies and where we look forward to the time that Jesus will come back and finish the work he began and make all things new entirely and completely. Hope is a word that I think gets thrown around a little bit loosely. Uh, It's a little watered down. You know, we say things like, well, I hope that the Hoosiers will win, which is becoming more of a reality for us these days. Or we say, I hope Starbucks isn't closed anymore on the west side, or I hope that we have a vaccine soon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when we think of hope, we often equate it to this action, this verb of hoping. We think of hoping for something. And in the Christian faith, we do absolutely hope in what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. But hope for us has even more depth. We also have an actual object to put our hope in, not just an abstract idea or a potential thing in the future that we look forward to, but an objective hope. And that hope is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Advent is a time where we remember where our hope really, really lies. We remember what is true and lasting. We remember the true and lasting good news in the gospel where we remember that no promises of this world, no riches, no success, no health, fortunes, wealth, can come remotely close to offering the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Advent is a time where we gaze at our Lord, where we reflect on the best gift that has ever been given to humanity, and we remember that Jesus Christ is the best news that the world has ever received and is still the best news that is out there today. So if you will, stand with me. We're going to be reading from Colossians. We're going to, our Advent series is going to be going through um, the beginning of the book of Colossians. And we're going to be hitting on various aspects of uh, who Christ is. Colossians is a great book that is just centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
So today we're going to be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible today, then on your way out, please grab one from the connection table. We would just love to give you that for free. You can just uh, take one on your way. Colossians 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for uh, this sunny day. We're thankful for uh, the season of Advent, uh, that we can come together and, uh, and worship you today and um, reflect on what you have done by sending Christ to redeem us, to restore us, Lord. Pray for those who can't be with us today, those who are uh, either needing to quarantine or um, those who are affected by the virus, Lord. We pray for for their safety, and we do look forward to a time where we can gather again together uh, fully, and um, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would would be working in our hearts and speaking to us this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So we're just going to have two, two points today, uh, and we're going to unpack them just a little bit, and uh, we're going to be going through this passage of Colossians and kind of really focusing on one big aspect, and that is the gospel. Something that we talk about every single week here at Redeemer, something that we talk about unapologetically every single week because it is massively important to remember what the gospel is all about and why it is actually good news for us. So today we're going to be focusing on two points. One is that the world is in need of good news. And two, we're going to talk about aspects of this good news and hit on some essence of the gospel. So in our passage today, right away, we see that it is Paul and Timothy who are writing to the church in Colossae, right there in the first couple verses. They're writing to encourage and to remind them of the centrality of Jesus Christ, the centrality of Christ in their lives, in their faith, in their community. That's what the whole book of Colossians is about. They're writing to remind them of who Jesus is and what the fullness of the gospel message means for them. Something that we have to continue to remind ourselves now, just as much as they did almost 2,000 years ago. So the Colossians lived in a place that had a multitude of different spiritual and religious beliefs. There was local influence of early heretical teaching in the church. There was pagan influence from the, from the city of Colossae, and there were also many, many people who were still wrestling with Jewish thought and influence. They were being confused by aspects of Judaism and trying to figure out what they should keep or what they shouldn't keep. 
And then there were some who were just trying to discard this Christian movement altogether. So all of this to say there's a lot swirling around at this time. At this time, excuse me, there's a lot swirling around in the church. And Paul was writing to encourage them that what they need to focus on in the midst of all of this is to hold fast to who they were in Christ. To the gospel message that was preached to them, that we read in verse 5, it says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. The Colossians needed to remember the gospel that was preached to them, the wholeness of it, the comprehensiveness of this good news. And that is the same thing that we have to do today. Now, for something to be good news, there has to be something meaningful or significant about the message being shared to a specific person or persons, right? A lot of news is just news, information. A lot of it today is just opinions, Thanks to social media and multiple news outlets, you know, we just give our ideas on the actual facts. Now, during Advent, and all the time, really, we celebrate that the best news that has ever broken into the world has already come. So this is what Paul and Timothy are attempting to remind the Colossians of. But they, as I talk about a lot, is the same with us, is they forget it. They forget it so much. They leave their doors of worship and they forget the realities of the gospel, the realities of God working in and through their lives. One reason it's helpful to have a season like Advent is to take a time corporately where we remember what the world was like without a Messiah. And this begs the question, why did the world need a savior? What good news did we actually need? What good news do we need today? So we need to go and think about the first Advent season, if you will, which lasted for a very long time, the time before Jesus had broken into our world in the flesh. And throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, were awaiting a Messiah, the nation of Israel was waiting for years and years for their coming Savior. If we go all the way back, turn all the way left in your Bible to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin against God. It doesn't take very long to understand when you read the scriptures that we have a problem. We had a problem and we still do today, and that is sin. And from that point on, over the course of many, many years, sin begins to increase and spread. We see very quickly that murder enters the scene with Cain and Abel. There's hatred, there's pain, there's toil, there's sickness. Things were not meant to be that way. Things were not as they were originally created to be. But we also read in Genesis 3 that not long after Adam and Eve sinned, God very quickly sets in plan a plan of redemption. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan here. And between your offspring and her offspring, which is Jesus. He shall bruise your head, Satan. Jesus will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
And while waiting for a savior after this promise, God in his grace gave the whole world much common grace by continuing to dis, uh, allow people to have food and water and all sorts of aspects that we all share as humans in this world. But to his people, he gave leaders. He gave his law. He gave kings and priests and prophets to his people to guide them, to lead them. But none of these people, nor God's law, was the savior that they needed. They continued to await a Messiah. The law guided them, taught them how to love God, how to love one another, but it also exposed the depth of their sin, both outwardly in their actions and inwardly in their hearts. The patriarch leaders, the kings, the priests and the prophets never lived up to their offices perfectly. No sacrifice that they ever found could atone for the just judgment that God had against sin, that he rightfully had against sin. The people of Israel over many, many years faced ups and downs. And in the midst of seeing that what they had wasn't able to save them, they faced a ton of infighting and problems. They were occupied by foreign rulers and many trials and many tribulations. They were waiting for their Messiah, and they knew that they needed him. They longed for a savior to come and ransom them. To hear good news that the Messiah had come to make their issues all go away. Now, originally, the Israelites believed their Messiah would come and establish an earthly rule, a physical nation state of the kingdom of Israel. But as we now know, this is not what God had in his design. His design was not to come and be a conquering leader originally just to bring about a rebellion against the Roman Empire. His goal was to come and fulfill the requirements of God's law, to make a way for people to know God, to be reconciled to him as they were intended to be. So Jesus came and flipped everyone's ideas on their head as to what this Messiah was. He came as a baby, as we've just sung, a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Matthew 1.18 says it like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ, God the Son, came to earth fully God, as fully God and fully man, in a mystery that we cannot completely understand, as a baby. And when we take a step back and we think about this truth, this truth that we celebrate in this season, it's really amazing. In order to fulfill what God required, Jesus had to be fully God, because no man could do it, but he had to be fully man in order to be an appropriate representative for humanity. And we don't have time to get into all the intricacies because I think it would take a whole sermon series to do it. But we can see that this incarnation of Jesus is very, very good news. It was good news for them now and it is for us now. The first Advent season was just the beginning though of what God was going to accomplish his work climaxed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And the good news, this gospel message, is that his work is still continuing. The full restoration is to come. Because as we've known, and as we've experienced, I'm sure, in our life, the residue of sin is still with us. We can't escape that in our lives, and we can't, we can't deny the fact that there's still something wrong in this world. Things are still not as they were meant to be. We still need this good news preached to us, and we still need to know more and more about Jesus. We really live in a time that's not too far off from the cultural context that they had at the church in Colossae. They were still looking forward to when Jesus would come back to restore everything completely, just like we are now. They lived in a time of many competing gospels, a time where there was a lot of news thrown in their faces as to how they could find joy and peace and happiness and contentment and fulfillment. And we face these same exact things today, do we not? We are marketed to, especially during this season, constantly, constantly, hey, buy this, you'll be happy. Get this, you'll be happy. If you don't have this, you're missing out. You better get it, you fill in the blank. We all know those things that get preached to us, that these alternative gospels, these alternative good news constantly we're told what is really good news is to live a successful, a healthy, a comfortable, and maybe, if possible, prosperous life. Constantly told, here is what you should be expecting. Here's where you need to put your hope. In uncertain times like this, I think that one big thing, at least in my life, absolutely, is uh, financial security. It's a temptation that... uh, that really we all are faced with, right? There's a reality that it takes money to live in this society. And before I continue, I want to be clear that stewarding your resources that God has given to you is a very good thing, and you should be doing that. I by no means want to advocate foolishness with money. We just want to advocate that money is not our God. It's not the best news that we can put our hope in. Although we are often taught that we should base our contentment on our finances. It creeps into our lives in sneaky, sneaky ways. And this was exposed in my life very recently. Uh, My wife's birthday, birthday was last week, 30th birthday. So, you know, a big one, right? And I had some fun going to the mall. I did. I'm not a huge mall. Well, actually, no, I am. I like going to the mall. I'll admit it. I like walking around. I'm a, I'm a window shopper and I like to just kind of see what's out there, and I had planned on getting a few gifts for her. I set a little aside because it was a significant milestone, 30 years, by God's grace. That's amazing, and so I was ready to spend a little cash to bless her and thank God for the blessing that she is uh, in my life and in many people's lives, and I was so thankful that we had the ability to go and buy some gifts, you know, but later in the evening, we had to go return something that I had gotten, and My son was being just a fiend in the mall. He doesn't understand what I'm saying, thankfully, but he was. He was throwing a fit, you know, and it's hard for the kids to wear masks. I get that, and he was not liking it. And we were going by those 
cool race carts that they put right at the entrance of the mall. Simon Mall is, they're geniuses. They're like, we will entice these kids. They're going to want one of these. So he's going ballistic. And in the midst of all of that, my wallet was lost. Lost my wallet. We realized this after we get home, and what ensued over the next hours was my blood pressure just rising and falling and rising and falling. I had to turn off my cards, all of these things, which they make much easier now. And the next day, I had found that my wallet had been returned to a store in the mall. Thankfully, I have it on me now. It's not leaving my wallet in my pocket anymore. But over the course of a day and a half, or a half a day, excuse me, I was happy, sad, and happy again because of this relatively small financial circumstance, this inconvenience. Pragmatically, the good news that I really was hoping for was that my wallet would be found. Now, this is a silly small example because it was found and that was good news, but I realized how quickly I looked to the things of this world to give me this good news, to make me feel content, to make me feel happy. And the reality is that nothing in this world is comparable to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate in this season. That's what we remember now and should always. The world had been longing for a savior. Many people didn't even know it. They just knew that they had this void inside of themselves, like many of us may even have today, this void inside. And nothing in this world, no leader, no thing, no religion can fill it. That void in us is this longing to know our creator and to be saved from our sin. So at the right time, Christ stepped out of his rightful place beside God the Father in heaven, condescended to earth, taking on flesh to live a perfect life and die in the place of the sinners who put their faith in him. So that's the good news that the world needed, that they looked forward to, that they got in Christ, and that we continue to look back to and still need today. So Paul reminds the Colossians, focus on it. Remember the message It's simple, but it's also so complex in its depth. We will spend this lifetime never fully mining the depths of the gospel. The wonders of this message that we preach week in and week out. And I believe that this will continue on even in the next life. For those of us who stand around the throne room and worship Christ forever, we'll continue to learn more and more about him. So we're going to see in the rest of our passage here some aspects, some some depths of this gospel message that I think are very important for us to focus on. We're just going to outline a couple of them, things that are really important to remember as we look to Jesus Christ, who is our good news. So first we see that the gospel is truth. Paul in verse 5 says, It is the word of the truth. And in verse six, it says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I think it would be fair to say that all other attempts outside of putting your faith in Christ, all other religious attempts are guesses about God, guesses about how to appease 
God. And Paul does not mince words when he says that the gospel message, the one that we preach to you, is the truth. At this point in the letter, Paul doesn't bother attempting, though, interestingly, to prove this truth. He just simply calls it truth. And how he proves its truthfulness is by showing what it produces. We read that the gospel message is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you, it says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. If you read through the gospels, Jesus isn't too concerned about laying out proofs for us. If you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? He's not saying, here's who I am and I'm gonna prove it to you through reason. So often we approach things in this life with skepticism. We don't trust until we can say, I can completely agree with all of your premises and your argument, and then I'll believe it. This is a difficult aspect of faith sometimes. Now, our faith is not one without reason at all. I believe Kyle talked about that last week. It's not one without reason at all. If you have doubts, then I challenge you to dive in. God will make good on all his claims in his word. But what is an even more powerful testament to truth is when it is, is experienced, when it's proven through action and through fruit. Paul mentions that practical fruit is a truthfulness. It's proof of the truthfulness of the gospel. Look at verse three and four. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What's being said here, if you almost read it kind of backwards, right, is that because of the hope the Colossians have in Christ, because of their hope, which came from the truth of the gospel message, they have evident faith and love produced in their lives. Because of the gospel message, the truth of it, they have hope, and from that, more faith and love are produced in their lives. Their faith and their love are a product of this rock-solid hope they have in Jesus Christ. He's the object of their hope. He is hope himself. And because of this truth, they have more and more faith produced in their lives, more and more love for one another produced in their lives. I love that where it says that they have love for all the saints. So dive into the truths, the truth claims of the gospel, all the things God claims in his word. Dive into them, but remember what's even more powerful, more powerful evidence of the truth of the gospel message is the evidence, or excuse me, is the fruit and the growth that is produced in the lives of people. No one can argue that there is power in the gospel message when they look at the lives of those who have been changed by the Holy Spirit's work, right? No one else can prove the truth. Nothing else can prove the truth more than changed lives. Think of yourself. Paul knows this. He had a very face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord. In Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, the reality is if you are in Christ, the truth of the gospel is at play in your life right now. Evidence is coming forward through you right now. Your testimony is amazing and glorifying to God. 
Some of us, by God's grace, have been taken through many, many difficult things, seen him and changed. Some of us think that we have boring testimonies, and the reality is, is there is zero boring testimony. God makes no mistakes and works all things to his glory. He redeemed you the way you were meant to be redeemed, period. Give God the glory. So Paul is telling the Colossians to celebrate God's work in their lives. He says, be thankful. He says he is thankful to God, always because of the fruit of the gospel in their lives. And as a quick aside, I think that this is a really cool thing to kind of look at from this passage specifically, especially during this season, where we're, where we're always thinking about things to be thankful for. We often get so caught up in us, right? The reality is that sin makes us turn inward, and so we're always looking at the things that, well, I'm thankful for, you know, this and that in my life, and we put ourselves first. And again, not to discount those things, but what would it, what would it be like if we had a culture where we were so excited about what God was producing in the lives of other people? Advent is traditionally a time of gift-giving, So I think it'd be cool if we gave the gift of praying for and thanking God for his work in the lives of our family members here. Being excited when God is working and using the gifts of people and producing fruit. So the gospel was proven true, not by reason, but fruit and growth. Another aspect that we see of the essence of the gospel here in Colossians is that it is universal. And I don't mean that the good news of the gospel is that Christ will save everyone. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean though is that it is absolutely for everyone. Young and old, materialistically rich or not, the whole range of intellect, every tribe, tongue, ethnicity, nation, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing everywhere. There still is more work to be done, though. But I think this is a unique aspect of what God did in his work of salvation through Christ, right? Very few things in this world are open to absolutely everyone, right? And I would venture to say that nothing except the gospel really focuses on and preaches good news to those who the world considers marginalized or unimportant. Jesus came to preach the good news to the marginalized and the poor in the world. To those who aren't that special according to our standards as humans. It's interesting that Jesus came and was born into a poor family from a town that nobody considered significant. There is ample evidence of Jesus Christ preaching and God speaking specifically to those who feel marginalized in this world. In Isaiah 61, we read of the prophesied Messiah that's going to be sent into the world. And we see how he is described here in uh, verses one through three. And it's a little bit of a long chunk, but it's so good. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to, those, to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what the Messiah was coming for. The people noted here, the people noted who this good news was coming to were not the elite of society. Later on in Matthew 11, fast forward, right? Jesus has come and people are going, hey, are you the Messiah? Because you're not doing exactly what we think you ought to be doing. You're not conquering Rome. So John the Baptist sends his disciples to him and says, hey, are you the one that we should be looking for or should we go look for another? In Matthew eleven four, Jesus answers them. He says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus shows here he's fulfilled this prophecy. So why is Christ so focused on the marginalized? And I don't believe we have a full comprehensive answer to that question. But I do believe that it's because in everything we do, we're supposed to recognize ultimately how great God is, how desperate we are without him, and how much we need someone outside of ourselves to save us. And for those who have experienced marginalization, we, we can really feel those realities physically, and we know that they ultimately point to a spiritual reality. So often Jesus does heal physically, and he cares about that. He cares about the whole person, let me be clear. But he does ultimately, right now, care about our deepest spiritual need. In Matthew 5, 3, in the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus starts his whole message with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reality is, is that we all are on level ground spiritually. We are poor in spirit. And when we recognize that, that we need a savior, Jesus is quick to come and show himself. Apart from God's intervention in our lives, we are all poor in spirit. We are all the poor who need good news preached to us. Such good news that the savior of the world didn't come just to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up a nation state. That's good news. The salvation that was coming, that has come, was far more comprehensive than that. To display the sovereignty and supremacy of God, God shamed our human knowledge by using what was considered weak and useless. Sent the Messiah in the form of a little baby born into a poor family in a small town in a smelly stable to bring salvation to those who knew they needed a savior. And he grew up and he faced the cross. He died and he rose again to justify once and for all a people of God's own possession and began the process of restoration on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus came 
into the world and was the good news the world had been waiting for. The good news the Jews had been waiting for. The good news that the Gentiles had been waiting for and didn't even know it yet. So if we look at the end of this passage now, we get one other aspect of this gospel message. And it's a quick one. It says specifically, the gospel message is meant to be spread by ordinary people. If you look at verse seven and eight, it says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So here's a quick practical application for us. God uses ordinary people in the power of the spirit to continue to spread this good news of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Most of the people that God uses in the Bible are not, excuse me, most of the people that God uses in history have not been mentioned in scripture. We read of many key players. We also read of many that we don't know much about. The church at Colossae was not even planted by the apostle Paul. It says that Epaphras, this guy brought the gospel to the Colossians. If you're in Christ today, you're a part of God's plan to bring the gospel to wherever you're at, to here, to your homes if you're a student and while you're here as a student, to the nations if God calls you to that. Your story is part of a greater story that God is orchestrating and authoring. Advent is a great time to remember this and remind one another of this. For those who think that you're too far gone to receive the grace of God, just think about what we just talked about. Don't believe that lie for a second. The gospel is good news for everyone. For everyone. Especially to those who recognize that their need is so deep and who have gone through very, very, very difficult things. God is using and can use your story to bring him much glory and to spread the gospel. This is the good news we need to rest on. The good news we need to be reminded of, celebrated, kept in front of us at all the time. I love the, uh, oh, I love Christmas music. Not gonna lie. Love it. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing is... uh, one of my, one of my favorites um, in our series that we're talking through over the next few weeks, you know, we get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of truth in Hark the Herald Angels Sings that speaks to what we'll be talking about. And the last, the whole last verse, right, is a great summation of the gospel. And it says, hail the heaven born Prince of Peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the son of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So while the gospel is comprehensive and includes this whole doctrine of grace, of what God is doing, what we focus on in this season is that Jesus Christ came to earth to bring glory to God and joy to those who put faith in him. He is our hope. He is the one we celebrate. He is our good news to cherish and exalt. He is, in every sense, the gospel, the good news we needed 
long ago that we need now and will need forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful. We're thankful that uh, today we could just spend some time really learning about what we talk about every single week. And that is this good news that you sent Jesus Christ to make a way to be redeemed and restored back to you. And we pray that in this season of Advent, especially this, this year in 2020 that's been exceedingly difficult for many, Lord, we pray that this would just be a time where we really, really reflect on who Jesus is, what he has done for us, what he offers us. And I pray that we would be convicted where we have put our hope in other things where we've rested on other things we believe are the best news. And I pray that we would turn back to following you, to resting in Christ as our hope and the best news that we could ever, ever receive. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and we'll worship with one more song.